Hello, I'm Mark Sweeney here once again to rhetorically ask, where's the trade? About some favorite uncollected series or run? In this episode's case, the uncollected gem is the year writer Carl Kiesel spent on Marvel Comics and Netflix streaming star Daredevil's title. Issues 353 through 364 to be exact, these are comics cover dated June 1996 through May 1997. This enjoyable run is something of a lost classic, falling as it does between a couple of, for better or worse, more well-known eras. I'll talk a bit about this run in general coming up and recap and comment on a favorite issue from this year of Daredevil. But first I ask you to suffer through a little personal history with the character. I cannot be 100% sure how or when I first encountered blind attorney Matt Murdock, who daily or nightly suited up in the skin-tight red leotard and protected his little corner of Manhattan from street punks and supervillains. Could have been a hostess ad in some friend's comic. Uh, As with many superheroes, I could have first seen him on TV. He did make an appearance on Spider-Man and his amazing friends, so I can't recall anything about that episode. It's nowhere near as memorable to me as the Seven Little Superheroes, which introduced me to a couple other corners of the Marvel Universe. I had the Daredevil Secret Wars action figure, which I thought was pretty cool at the time. But many years later, after reading the Secret Wars series, I kind of wondered what the heck Daredevil was doing in that figure line, as he was nowhere to be seen in the comic. Speaking of comics, I do know exactly what my first Daredevil comics were. Issues 183, 185, 188 from the Frank Miller era. Picked these up together, or I should say these were picked up for me together at a store called Cost Plus. Which is a little discount chain selling remaindered merchandise and overstock. Doesn't exist anymore, but it reminds me a lot of Ocean State Job Lot, and that may ring a bell for anyone listening to this in the northeastern U.S., a little rack with children's books and activity books and always a couple of comics. I remember picking up Blue Ribbon Comics number one there from the Archie Superheroes line. This reprinted old Simon and Kirby The Fly stories. And also one of the most important comics in my collection, All-Star Squadron number 35. I got that at cost plus along with these Daredevils. Uh, But these Daredevil issues made a pretty big impression on me. Not so much for the contents of the issues. They were dark, dealt a lot with drugs. Most of it, honestly, went right over my eight, nine, ten-year-old head. Uh, The general feeling I got from scanning the issues and the covers, that feeling is is still with me. Number 183 in particular, that cover is iconic in my mind. Daredevil in mid-leap getting shot clean through by the Punisher. This is certainly the first time I'd ever laid eyes on Frank Castle and I thought he was so cool. Within a year or so from getting this issue, I was obsessed with being the Punisher for Halloween. I started making plans to put together the costume. I was going to wear my hard-soled slippers and pull up long white socks over them to replicate the Punisher's gleaming white boots from that Daredevil cover. But then the monkey wrench. My dad had this great costume idea for my sister and myself. He wanted us to wear garbage bags filled with balloons, sunglasses, white gloves. This was at the height of the mania. My dad wanted us to be California raisins. I could never really say no to my father. I still can't. So my 
Punisher costume dreams circle the drain. And we went to a costume birthday party that year. My sister, I'm not sure how she got out of the raisin thing, but I don't remember her wearing the costume at all. Party was in the basement, and we were among the last to arrive because all, all the other kids were already there to witness my walk of shame down the stairs in my balloon-filled garbage bag. And I'll never forget one kid's misinterpretation of my dad's brilliant idea as he called out, Look, it's Garbage Man! And I was supposed to be the Punisher. Anyway, way off topic here. These comics really put Daredevil on the map for me, too. Between all the angel dust and organized crime, enough of... Matt Murdock was presented to imprint my young consciousness. And let me just say, I've said before that the best gimmick in superhero comics belongs to Ultra Boy, the DC hero who has the multitude of superpowers, but with the catch that he could only use one at a time. And when I say that, it's the best gimmick, I mean it. But when I say that, I must be temporarily forgetting about Daredevil, who leaps nightly from rooftop to rooftop fighting supervillains, and he's blind. So when I'm thinking about Daredevil or reading Daredevil, he's got the best gimmick in comics. And so if this Frank Miller era was Daredevil ground zero for me, then I, from then on, occasionally dipped into Dee Dee's world, going both forward and backward, enjoying the classic lighthearted Marvel Universe tone set by Stan Lee, Wally Wood, John Romita, Bob Brown, Gene Colan, and others. Another favorite was the Steve Gerber run from the 70s. The Ann Nocenti, John Romita Jr. run. And these I even ended up preferring to the Miller, Klaus Janssen stuff that I came in on. And so I'd come in and out, but by the time the early 90s rolled around, issues after number 300 seemed to just get further and further from the, the fun Daredevil stories that I enjoyed. And by the time of Daredevil's infamous costume change to his black number with the razor-sharp shoulder pads, I was I was long gone. I, to this day, haven't read one single issue from that time. And maybe they're great, but from a distance, just gazing at the covers, sensing the reputation from afar, they just seem so dark, so bleak. Just not at all what I'm looking for in a comic book which is where writer Carl Kiesel comes in. I must have heard, read, that at some point Daredevil had sensibly returned to his old red suit and that things were due to return to a more classic... that a return to greatness was promised in the pages of Daredevil. So after about a year in a wilderness of fill-ins, a rebranded Daredevil, a stylish new logo and all, hit the shelves with issue number 353, cover dated June 1996. And at the helm, Carl Kiesel, who I knew early on primarily as an inker. In fact, he was probably my very first favorite inker based on his work over Stephen Stefano on Amazing Man. Kiesel was at this time still writing Superboy and the Adventures of Superman title over at DC, and within a couple of months, he would actually be scripting DC's annual crossover event, Final Night. So he was a pretty busy guy over at the competition. But this is not to suggest that his Daredevil run, even though it only spanned a short 12 issues, was anything of a side project. 
Kiesel's primary artistic collaborators for this run were penciler Carrie Nord and inker Matt Ryan, though there would be a couple-month running-in period where Nord got layout help from Larry Hama, of all people, and Sal Buscema, and some fill-in relief from Rick Leonardi, Steve Epting, Pascal Ferry, and Daredevil veteran Gene Colan. And though Kiesel himself needed a one-month respite, uh, probably just as final night hit over at DC. He delivered on the promise of a return to greatness. He brought a sense of fun back to Daredevil, I think reminiscent of the old Stan Lee scripts with a fun-loving, quipping hero fully integrated into the Marvel Universe proper, not secluded in a dark, dank corner of Hell's Kitchen. Kiesel focused just as much attention on Daredevil's secret identity reinstalling Matt Murdock into his place in partnership with Foggy Nelson, who is a complete revelation in the series around this time. And I get a sense was very fun for Kiesel to write. As newly knowledgeable about Matt's double life, Foggy gets his moments in the spotlight as he becomes almost like Daredevil's public face. He almost plays a Jimmy Olsen-type role as Daredevil's friend Foggy Nelson, as illustrated by Nord and Ryan. Dee Dee's returning love interest, Karen Page, is a pixie-ish beauty. Karen is given a new job. She's a popular nighttime radio host, a role, which, a role in which she flourishes until toward the end of this year, long run, we meet the sinister force behind the radio station. And rounding out the strong supporting cast is new edition Rosalind Razor Sharp, the attorney's attorney, driven, cruel, she heavily promotes Foggy's sudden celebrity, easily exploiting him due to a surprising connection between herself and Foggy. And like I said, this Daredevil was an active participant in the Marvel Universe's New York. This run coincided with year-long absence of many of Marvel's heroes, the Fantastic Four, the Avengers, including Captain America and Iron Man. They were off in some alternate dimension, which... I'm not sure if this is even an accurate description. I didn't read any of that Heroes Reborn stuff. Uh, but it meant that heroes remaining in the city at this time, Daredevil, Spider-Man, had to pick up the slack with all the supervillains that were still camped out in New York. It really felt like old-school Marvel Universe with the way characters popped in and out of the series. And it's quite a lineup of foes that Daredevil takes on during this year. The Grey Gargoyle, Mr. Hyde, the Enforcers, Pyro. And in my favorite issue from the run, and the one I'll spotlight with a little recap, Daredevil takes on the seemingly unstoppable force of the Absorbing Man. Listen to me. You can't handle this kind of power. <laughs> Only a matter of time before you lose control. <laughs> You'll be a monster, Creel! Ah! Ain't no more Crusher Creel! My small-time days are robbing banks. He's over, Hulk. The absorbing man's going global. Not big time now! Daredevil number 360, cover dated January 1997. Written by Carl Kiesel. Penciled and cover-arted by Carrie Nord. Inked by Matt Ryan. Lettered by Jim Novak. Colored by Christy Steele. An American Color, and edited by James Felder. Cover's a great one, Daredevil leaping out at us, 
but away from an attacking, absorbing man. This is a great example of what I like about the Carrie Nord, Matt Ryan team, who, of this run, illustrated, I think, the best issues, the issues of this run that are my favorite ones. I love the way they draw Daredevil, his uniform. It often looks like clothing, especially the gloves and boots. They're careful to show seams. And I like the way Didi's cowl touches his face, following the lines of his face, and it's clearly defined with ink, not relying on color to show you where the skin ends and cloth begins. And because it's so well drawn, the coloring of his costume here annoys me a little bit, and only because it happens a couple of times during this run, where his nose is colored red, indicating it's covered by the mask, but that's wrong and annoying. Anyway, the Absorbing Man. You know Crusher Creel, that bald guy with no shirt and prison pants at the ball and chain. He can absorb the surface texture of any object, so when he touches metal, he becomes moving metal, he touches a brick wall, he's stacked like bricks. Any day of the week, a really tough opponent for someone of Thor's weight class. How's Daredevil going to make out? Let's find out. We open up, right in the middle of the action, Daredevil had confronted a rampaging crusher creel in the midst of a diamond heist in the cliffhanger of the previous issue. Hard as brick, creel crows about all the missing heroes and wonders how a skinny jerk in red tights could stop him. Creel touches a random gun on the ground and absorbs the metal's physical properties, as Dee Dee thinks to himself with his heightened senses that he can feel the temperature drop as Creel changes from brick to cold metal. And feeling the villain out, Dee can really only dodge his attacks. <laughs> At the building, housing the offices of Sharp, Murdoch, and Nelson, Karen Page shares a, an elevator ride with Rosalind Sharp, who can't hide her disdain for Karen's boyfriend, Matt, though she does respect his legal acumen. Karen's there to meet Matt for lunch, but of course, Matt isn't there. And Rosalind takes the opportunity to, to badmouth Matt, but also to pump Karen for information about her new employer, WSFK, whom Rosalind was considering taking on as a client. Enter into the office Foggy Nelson, escorted by his foster mother, to whom Rosalind is decidedly cold, referring to as nothing more than my ex-husband's first wife. And it's here that Rosalind just nonchalantly reveals that she is Foggy Nelson's birth mother. And there were hints of this, I guess, dropped throughout previous issues, but the, the big reveal is kind of here refreshingly understated. It's kind of tucked away at the bottom of the page. There are no exaggerated looks of shock or hands pressed to cheeks. In fact, Foggy is pressing his eyes, but only because he kind of quietly seems embarrassed by his birth mother's rude behavior. Back at the fight, an off-duty police officer shows up and pulls a gun on the absorbing man, but Creel paws a stack of newspapers, and so four bullets just pass harmlessly through his paper body. But before he can pounce on the cop, Daredevil shows up, stomping him into the floor with a, a quip. Creel shrugs Dee Dee off, withstands a few punches to the jaw, but absorbs some ignited coals, which he uses to burn through a, a pouch of 
the diamonds that he stole. And Kriegel absorbs the hardness of the diamond and swats Didi away like an insect. Dedova returns to his strategy of avoiding the absorbing man's fists and tricks an impatient Creel into throwing his ball and chain, which Didi manages to simultaneously leap over and intercept. And thinking quick, he catches on to the idea of using his radar sense to scan Creel's diamond body for its inevitable flaws. But he's got no time. Diamond Dallas Creel lumbers up to strike, so Didi's only got one shot, and thracoom! He swings the ball and chain and connects with Creel's body just as the Absorber Man lands a crushing blow on Daredevil. This half-page panel is so iconic to me, I wonder if it's a tribute to Kirby or someone from the Marvel Age of Comics. I can picture a Hulk-Thor battle or something like this. This will be one of the pics I put up on the blog, imthegun.blogspot.com, so check it out. Let me know if this pose has been done before. Well, that blow hit Daredevil pretty hard, but by pure luck, it hit Absorbing Man even harder. Blow found a diamond flaw and actually took his whole darn arm off. When Daredevil notices the arm crawling back to Creel for a reunion, he leaps into action, borrows the cop's gun, and repeatedly smashes Creel in various spots with the butt of the pistol, taking a few hits, but avoiding a few more, and he keeps cracking away at Creel until he looks like an ancient statue, missing a, an arm, another hand, and a a huge chunk out of his midsection. A weary and wounded Daredevil checks back in with the cop who'd arranged for some backup, which is now just charged with carting away a panicked absorbing man, unsure how he'll reassemble the thousands of shards of his shattered body. And the issue finishes out at Matt Murdock's apartment where battered and bruised, stripped to his Daredevil leggings and ribs wrapped, Matt listens to the closing moments of a prearranged Foggy Nelson press conference talking about how great it is to be pals with Daredevil. But Matt's interrupted by a visiting Karen, and the two lovers engage in a little playful teasing. I love this issue for what is essentially one big long fight scene interspersed with a few character moments. It's so enjoyable. And it's like perfectly emblematic of this run as a whole. Get the Devil May Care hero taking on one of a string of inspired villains and provides an exciting conflict with a clever resolution. The strong supporting cast gets their moments to shine and all this tied up in a very attractive looking package. Just, just a really great comic here. Carl Kiesel would leave this title a few issues later. I think just due to being so busy. At least that's what he said in an interview I found on the site manwithoutfear.com. This interview was done soon after Kiza left, and it's pretty informative. I'll definitely gonna, I'm definitely going to put a link to it on the blog. Carrie Nord left the title around the same time, but Joe Kelly, Gene Colan, and Ariel Olivetti they were brought in to help close out this volume of Daredevil. And the remainder of the series, 15 issues or so, continued with a similar tone, I'd say. Almost equally as enjoyable as the, the Kiesel-Nord run, 
before Kevin Smith was brought on for a brand new, completely renumbered series. The Joe Kelly issues have been collected. It's part of the Daredevil Epic Collection. The previous volume of that series of trades collects stuff from issues squarely in the dreary black suit era, so that leaves a pretty sizable chunk of Daredevil adventures, including this great year written by Kiesel, awaiting a new audience. I want to thank Greg Arujo, who did a little research in response to an early image I posted from the Spotlight issue. According to Greg, not only does this issue remain uncollected, none of it is currently available on either Comixology or Marvel Unlimited digitally. It's hard to imagine why such a huge swath of this series remains unavailable in either collection or digitally. Uh, but for those willing to search and to pay, there's always the single issues. They aren't super easy to find, and some of these issues can get pretty pricey, but I really can't recommend this stuff enough. I feel mm, maybe a little inauthentic by saying this, since I haven't read much of the dark material that came before, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say this 12-issue run is a, a true highlight of 1990s Daredevil find it funny how the tone of Daredevil, in particular among the big Marvel Comics properties, seems to oscillate so often between the dark and the light. I've bought some issues of the more recent Mark Wade, Chris Samney run digitally. Uh, I haven't read them yet. I've heard uh, more than once that this batch has a similar tone to the Carl Kiesel run, a, sor a sort of more modern take on classic Stan Lee mold. Uh, so I gotta make sure that I push those up the reading list soon as I seem to favor a more balanced take on the character, maybe leaning a teeny bit toward the lighter fare, but one I find truer, more in tune with the character's original conception. I want to put up some images from the spotlight issue on the show's blog. Again, that's imthegun.blogspot.com. There you will also find uh, that link to the Carl Kiesel interview. And also some contact info for me, though I think I can most often be found barging into conversations on Twitter, where I'm at I'm the Gun. Let's see, the last episode to go out was a Shanna showcase, on which I looked at Shanna the She-Devil's appearance in a Wolverine promotional comic called Global Jeopardy, produced by Marvel Comics and the World Wildlife Fund. Some people helped me promote that episode on Twitter, and those folks included Alan Middleton of the Relatively Geeky Network of Podcasts, Amsel von Canterbury, Cash Flag, Chris from Bat Books for Beginners, Chris Sheehan of the blog Chris is on Infinite Earths, Greg Arujo, who was reading some other Marvel promotional titles at the time on Marvel Unlimited, J. Jones Goldstein, Joe Crawford of the Tumblr for the Non-Discerning Reader, John Roberts, Justice's First Dawn, Marion Pedersen, Pat from the Longbox Crusade, Stacy Mixon, Terry Mayo, Tim Price, Wardell Sims, Xenozoic Xenophiles, who tweeted, Finding a new episode of Shanna Showcase from Mark in my podcast feed is like finding a treasure. Listening next. Thank you, Darren and Ruth. And I see robots who themselves just recently put out an episode of their audio handbook of the Marvel Universe, 
which they look at a Marvel character through the pages of the official handbook to the Marvel Universe, that classic Profiles series. Their latest looked at Shanna, and it was a great listen, so I encourage you to check that out at iceberg13.blogspot.com. Appreciate all the social media likes and shares, and I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. I think for the next episode we should cash in some frequent flyer miles, take a little flight somewhere. So until then, take care.